During the past 33 years, the difference in America between being rich and being middle class became much more pronounced. People with high incomes consumed an ever larger share of the nation's total income, while people in the middle saw their share shrink. For most of this time, the phenomenon attracted little attention from the general public and the press because it occurred in increments over one-third of a century. During the previous five decades, from the early 1930s through most of the 1970s, the precise opposite had occurred. The share of the nation's income that went to the wealthy had either shrunk or remained stable. At the first signs during the early 1980s that this was no longer happening, economists figured they were witnessing a fluke, an inexplicable but temporary phenomenon, or perhaps an artifact of faulty statistics. But they weren't. A democratization of incomes that Americans had long taken for granted as a happy fact of modern life was reversing itself. Eventually, it was the steady growth in income inequality that Americans took for granted. The divergent fortunes of the rich and the middle class became such a fact of everyday life that people seldom noticed it, except perhaps to observe now and then with a shrug that life was unfair. There were signs that this indifference was beginning to evaporate in the fall of 2011 when protesters turned up on Wall Street waving signs that said, We are the bottom 99%. As I write, it's too early to say whether the Occupy Wall Street movement will have any lasting positive effect, but certainly the topic is becoming more difficult to ignore. I am 21 and scared of what the future will bring read one testimonial posted online by a protester. I work full-time with no benefits, and I am actively looking for a second job because I am barely making it. I worry every month that I will not be able to afford rent. I am afraid of what will happen if I get sick. I am afraid I will never be able to go back to school. Another read, My parents have worked hard their entire lives as small business owners. In hard times, they always paid their employees before themselves. They would like to retire soon, but can't afford to stay in the modest ranch house they have lived in for 35 years. We are currently making renovations to our house so they can move in and avoid Section 8 low-income housing. The day before these statements appeared on the web, the New York Times evaluated for its more affluent readers the pluses and minuses of Kohler's new $6,400 luxury Numi toilet, which featured two flushing modes, an automatically rinsing toilet lid, and stereophonic sound. We tend to think of the United States as a place that has grown more equal over time, not less, and in the most obvious ways, that's true. When the Republic was founded, African Americans were still held in bondage and were defined in the Constitution as representing three-fifths of a human being. Only adult white male property owners could vote. Over the next two centuries, full citizenship rights were extended gradually to people who didn't own property, to blacks, to women, and to Native Americans. In recent years, gay activists have fought at the state level for the right to same-sex marriage, and they've prevailed, at this writing, in six states in the District of Columbia. It seems just a matter of time before this right is extended in the rest of the country.
Difficult to enforce, the principle that all men and women are equal before the law is even more difficult to refute. All the groups mentioned here experienced setbacks in their pursuit of legal equality, some lasting as long as a century. Few people belonging to any of these groups would argue that this pursuit ends with the removal of explicit legal barriers. Still, most would likely agree that over the long haul, legal obstacles to full and equal participation in American life tend to diminish.